0: Bye kids. Have a great time, Melissa. (laughs) Hey, uh, glad that you're here. Uh, Welcome. If we haven't met yet, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. And uh, how many of you grew up playing with Legos? Legos are pretty awesome. Can we get an amen for that? Whoever created Legos... Uh, is pretty wealthy and very smart. There's something about Legos because you can create a whole bunch of different things. I remember as a kid and with my kids just connecting them and creating a whole kinds of different things like just spaceships that would never actually really fly because the wings were way too small or it didn't have a rocket or anything like that. But you could create a lot of things. I remember walking into my friend's house. Did anyone ever do like the giant sets? like the incredible, the whole land creation. I walked in, they had this pool table with a piece of plywood across, and it was like a whole entire kingdom, castles upon castles. I, I could not even get my mind around how much time it took to create that. Or maybe you've been to downtown Disney. Uh, my kid was there a few years ago. We took this picture with the Incredible Hulk. Uh, I think we have that one, Yeah. I don't know how they made that all out of Legos, but that is amazing. Uh, Callie is taller now. But uh, here's the crazy thing with Legos. Whether they're a small creation or whether they're life-size Incredible Hulk, Legos work best when they're connected. And the same is true for you. And the same is true for me. That we just function best as we live this connected kind of life. And so that's what I want you to keep in mind as we kind of dive back into this series we've been looking at called Irresistible Faith. How do we grow, how do we build, how do we nurture an irresistible kind of faith? And an irresistible kind of faith is a faith that is meant to be shared. And we talked about that the very first week. And this faith that is meant to be, to invite other people into it and that they might experience this irresistible savior. And that's what Michael looked at last week as he was a guest preacher and did a great job looking at this whole idea that in order to grow an irresistible faith, you have to learn to abide and to remain with your irresistible Savior, that you have to stay connected to Jesus. And it's easy to get distracted by a lot of other things and to chase some things that are maybe shiny that are out there, but this long-term, slow investment of staying, abiding, and remaining in Christ and letting the roots of your heart and the roots of your faith go down deep in him. That's where you begin to build this irresistible kind of faith. That It all starts with abiding and remaining in him and then this week this idea that we're called as we abide in Christ to then now belong to this irresistible faith community. This community that is challenging at times, but it's a community that has so much benefit to it and so much of what the world longs to see. We live in a world that longs to connect, but they connect in pseudo ways. And they connect in things that fade. And yet, this call to connect is something that is embedded deep within us. Uh, You think back, uh, not just to the creation of the church that Jesus established, we'll get there, but even way back before that, to the creation of everything. There was this rhythm and cadence to this whole creation of God's story, and then we find kind of a record scratch that happens in that moment. How many of you understand rhythm? How many of you would say, I have rhythm? Okay. You understand music, right? Uh, Gordia Stefan, the rhythm is going to get you. You're the one that's jammed out in your car before to that. Uh, maybe you've been uh, just kind of dancing like no one notices at certain parties. We do notice. It, it's sometimes scary. Um, but just... Maybe you have that idea. We all love music and we're moved by rhythm. If you think about the creation story, there is a rhythm that is going on in the whole creation story all the way back to the beginning of God creating and announcing this is good and the cadences and God said and it was created and it was so and God saw that it was good and God said and it was so and God saw that it was good and God said and it was so And God said that it was good. There's this rhythm to creation until you get to Genesis 2.18. And in Genesis 2.18, there's like this record scratch and the rhythm stops and the cadence stops. And all of a sudden, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And some scholars will look at this and say, okay, well, that's where marriage comes in and that's certainly true. And we begin to see this unpack. In fact, Jesus alludes back to this when he's talking about marriage and, and, and that is a portion of this. But what you have to understand is that the law of first reference says that anytime something happens first, we got to pay attention to that. And this happens in Genesis chapter two, which is interesting because it's before Genesis chapter three. It's before the fall of mankind, it's before sin enters the picture, it's before anything has marred or, or strained the relationship between God and, and Adam, and God humanity, and in still in this moment, God is creating and announcing this is good until this moment, and he sees Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. We have been created, embedded with this desire and this need for community. It's not a man-made invention. It's something that God created in us and for us. This is a radical comment about the fundamental importance of human connection and human relationship. Marriage is a part of that, but just getting married doesn't fix aloneness. So this concept of living a connected life is something that God has put into you and into me from the very, very beginning. That isolation and aloneness aloneness is not to be the divine norm for human beings. That community is a creation of God, not a man-made invention. Because it's in relationships that we actually get to experience love. It's in relationships that we actually get to see love flourish. It cannot happen outside of relationships. And God is love. In fact, there's a, a big $10 a uh, scholar word called inner trinitarian love, just a big word, 10 bucks, that simply says this is how God exists as the Trinity. And I don't have time to unpack the Trinity, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three expressions, but one in wholeness. And this inner trinitarian love is the way they love one another. That the Father loves the Son reveals to him. The Son loves the Father, obeys him. The Spirit points to the Son, empowers him, and is sent by the Father. This ongoing, receiving, and self-giving kind of love. Community, even within the Trinity. And you and I are made in the Imago Dei. We're made in the image of God. And so we have been embedded with this craving, this desire, this design for community, for connection. That without it, we're dealing with aloneness issues and struggles. And we have been made from connection and for connection. And so, therefore, belonging to something is a longing that we all have. It's one of the basic building blocks of humanity because God made it so. And part of us is finding our purpose in biblical community. Is discovering how do we love one another? How do we model relationships in the way they should be and could be? the way they can be, the way they need to be. And what if we got that right in biblical community? Do you think that may be something our world needs more of? I do. I think our world longs for this. It searches for it in all kinds of ways. And it falls flat outside of biblical community, abiding in the irresistible Savior, and allowing him to establish and connect us to belong together in this movement called the church, but a longing that he's been working in from the very, very beginning to connect his people and to have a people where aloneness needs are met, and they don't go longing. See, Jesus had one main practical community challenge. It was a relational challenge. Do you remember this, what he said? A new command I give you. You're to love one another as I have loved you, By this, all people will know you are my followers by how much you know. Is that what he said? No. All men will know you're my followers by the way you love one another. This basic relational challenge about connection, about answering to who we are and how we've been created And how we have now been redeemed to put on display to a watching world. That spiritual growth and true maturing in the faith, true flourishing with God's love will always happen at the intersection of your relationships. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. That in that intersection of love and exchange of that is where God will do some of his greatest work. And maybe some of his most challenging work of transforming you to be more and more like Jesus. The truth is, God never designed for you and I to be on a solo journey. We were never intended to mosey through life as some kind of Lone Ranger Christian. That's not the call. The call Jesus established was to create a community, which he did with his disciples, launched the church to say, this is the community, and the way you love one another will advance the mission will also meet the needs and will put on display the kind of love that I have for the world to see, the kind of love that wants to be here. The writer of Hebrews says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some do or some have a habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. This idea of spur one another on is this idea of provoking in a positive way. We understand provoking in a negative way. But provoking, like, just stir someone up in a positive way, to love and good deeds. Let us encourage one another. This Greek word for encourage is literally this idea of parakleo. It's the word used for the Holy Spirit, paraklete. This idea of one who comes alongside. See, you cannot spur one another on. You cannot encourage by coming alongside from a distance. It only happens in Proximity. It only can occur and be fostered in relationship and connectedness together. I love what Dallas Willard says this. God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as a primary sustainer and the most inglorious inhabitant. God has set out in human history for the creation of this inclusive community, one that he has rescued and redeemed by his son. And called us to now say, This is the people of God. That's you, that's me, that's the church. It's not a building, it's not an address, it's a movement of people connected together, following and staying, abiding and remaining in their irresistible Savior. To now put on display this irresistible kind of belonging, this community that lets people know it's possible to experience and live in God's love. There's a book called The All Better Book. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's written by uh, some writers who've talked to young elementary age kids and they've asked them some of the greatest challenging questions that face the world and and they're kind of getting in elementary age, kind of age seven to 10, getting their perspective on what they would do to create and kind of answer some of those questions. They ask them this, with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest we do? Colani, age eight said, "Well, people should find lonely people and ask their name and address. And then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. And when you have an even amount, just assign lonely people with not lonely people together. That's a future administrator right there. Max said this: "Make food that talks to you when you eat it. For instance, it would say, "How you doing? What happened to you today? Some of you eat food and it talks to you afterwards, right? Okay, listen to Max, let's create something. Maybe Matt, his answer, uh, we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. We should create this. With billions of people in the world, someone should create a system where people don't have to be lonely or fight aloneness within themselves. Some of the greatest minds of history have wrestled with this question. How do you do this? It's why Plato wrote The Republic. It's why Augustine wrote The City of God. It's why so many of our stories are about community and connection and this longing for that. It's why people attend churches and join bowling leagues. It's why we gather to celebrate at parties. It's even why people say yes to blind dates because they're just trying to find it. One of the most memorable speeches in the 21st century, I Have a Dream, ends with this whole idea that I, I see a dream of people sitting in fellowship and joining hands and singing a common song. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., in his speech, didn't just say something that was uh, something he thought up. It speaks to the very core of who we are and how we've been created. That our divine purpose. This isn't just a personal preference. This is part of a divine vision of connectedness and oneness, this relational oneness. Mother Teresa said, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. We may be the most technologically advanced and connected generation ever, but I would propose that we might just be one of the loneliest as well because people connect on a a shallow surface level, and we can blame a lot of things for that, but the reality is we still feel disconnected. We hit like, but the reality is we don't even know maybe some of the people that we connect with online. And that's not bad. It's just maybe there's a longing for something even more. Jesus in his brilliance, as creator God, revealer of God, puts on display what relational oneness was like for his early disciples. You you can't help but read and see this on display as you read through the gospel accounts and their interactions with Jesus. He establishes the church and says, this is to be the movement, the vehicle that's used to help people push back against aloneness and the loneliness that that, 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 kind lingers in them. I want to establish a movement, Jesus is saying, where you can belong. You abide and you remain in me, and then I want you to belong together. And as you live out this love, yes, with all its challenges that come, but as you wrestle with living this out, serving one another, forgiving one another, challenging one another, all the one another's, 21 of them in the New Testament, as you live this out one to another, people will see that you're my follower. By the way you love one another. That this sense of belonging is important. It's what he prayed about. Read John 17, the longest prayer we have recorded of Jesus. You know what it's about? Relational oneness, unity. Father, make them one as you and I are one. Let this be something that puts on display to a watching world, one who lives not with oneness, one who attacks so quickly. I know we've advanced and we don't experience that anymore. That's sarcasm. Maybe we're a generation that needs this maybe even more than ever to live out this idea of oneness, of being for one another. Listen to how uh, the book of Acts begins, the beginning, the launching of the church, the end of chapter two. Just listen to this. Even if you want to close your eyes and just picture what this would have been like to be a part of this early church. The, The title says the believers formed a community. This is the first time where this is happening around the resurrected Savior, the one that we're to remain and abide in. As the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, to prayer, a deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. There's something about that when you just read it. You go, that's what community looks like. How do we live that out in the 21st century? How do we continue to, to move this movement forward by the way we belong with one another as followers of Jesus? Now, for some of you, you may be here in a spiritual search, and maybe you haven't quite said yes to Jesus yet, and I'm just, I'm really proud of you for being here. I know it takes courage coming to a new place, and I'm proud of you for being on a spiritual journey, and some of the folks that you're sitting around are people who have been on that same journey and gotten to a place where Jesus made the most sense to them, and he rescued them and he's brought him into this community of faith. Listen, we are not perfect. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not perfect. But we're a community of people who are, who are trying to live out this mission, this movement of Jesus, that a group who is living out this life-giving relationships, becoming hopefully irresistible to the people around who say there's something about the way you love and the way you live that inspires. And it calls me to something better because I don't experience that at work. Or I'm not experiencing that in my family. Or I'm not experiencing that from my background. But the way you love one another inspires. That, That you and I as followers of Jesus have been given a new membership into the family of God. We've been brought into what New Testament writers would call the the body of Christ. It's this living organization, organism with it. Paul writes it like this in Romans chapter 12. For each of you has one body with many members. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though we're many, form one body and each member belongs to the others. We have different spiritual gifts according to the grace that's given to each of us. He goes on to say, use those gifts to serve one another. Use those gifts to inspire one another, to invest in one another. This sense of belonging. To live out biblical community is a challenge, friends. I think if I had to narrow it down to maybe just the top two, there's a lot more to this. But living out biblical community takes godly attention, and it takes time. It takes godly attention to notice people who need comfort and to come alongside. It takes godly attention to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. It takes godly attention to to notice someone who's at a point where maybe... uh, A loving challenge is actually what they need most in life to say yes to Jesus' best and not detouring in life away from that. That it takes your attention. Love pays attention to others. It comforts and encourages. It challenges and invites. It holds accountable. And it comes alongside and walks through the challenges of life. Love invests its time. It just takes time to build relationships. I can build a lot of things with money and resources, and so can you, but none of us can build relationships without attention and time. It's what we have to invest. John Orberg wrote this. He says, if you think you can fit deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, think again. Wise people do not try to microwave friendships or relationships. You cannot listen in a hurry. You cannot truly connect in a hurry. You cannot mourn in a hurry, rejoice in a hurry. You can't have accountability in a hurry. You can't encourage and you certainly cannot love in a hurry. Maybe one of the greatest challenges to our spiritual growth is just the busyness of our life. It's what can hinder Biblical community, this idea of being together. Now, Acts chapter two, they were in the temple every single day. Does that mean we have to have church every single day? No, no, I'm not saying that. But it takes attention and time to invest and to grow a biblical, healthy community. It just does. There's no shortcuts to that. There's no shortcuts to, to healthy relationships. You know this to be true. Your healthiest relationships that you have, you have invested attention time. The ones that, are, that lack health, you haven't. And so you know this to be true. One of the greatest challenges to maybe developing deep connection, to live a connected life, is to invest your attention and your time. That maybe that's what Jesus is driving at, as he talks about the church, as he dreams about how we've all been embedded with this call to community, this longing for it. That learning how to love within biblical community opens us up to spiritual growth like nothing else. God will be at work within you, within me, as we learn to figure out how to belong with one another, how to love one another, how to encourage one another, how to serve one another. And as you develop this irresistible kind of community, the world begins to take notice of people who live differently because they're guided and called by something different. Spiritual growth will happen at the intersection of your relationship with God and your relationship with others. It always does, it always has, it always will. God will be at work within you. The church is to be noticed by how it lives out relationships, how it puts on display the way relationships should be and could be. Now, do we do that perfectly? No. Does the church have a reputation sometimes in our culture of not doing this well? Yes, it does. We need to get better. And that means we each have to own our part in that. And you know what that takes? Attention and time. It calls us to say we've got to live this out. Are there difficulties in building healthy relationships? Yes. Why? Because you're here and I'm here. We're both broken. And so it is messy at times. Uh, Do you rub people the wrong way sometimes? Oh, good. I do too. The reality is how you live this out is we both will participate in creating some of the conflict or creating some of the uneasiness or the tension that will exist in relationships. Every relationship will battle tension, won't it? even healthy ones. But when you invest your attention in time, you make your way through that and you work your way through that. The mark of true biblical community is not the absence of conflict or difficulty, but is the presence of a reconciling and overcoming spirit within those relationships and how you live that out. In our humanness, we will rub one another the wrong way, but nevertheless, we are never to back away from this idea of fellowship of faith. How do you grow an irresistible faith? You gotta figure out this whole belonging thing. Trial and error. You learn and you get better at it. Why? Because you're abiding and remaining with an irresistible savior who is using those very people around you to help shape you and transform you, to change you to be more and more like Jesus if we will allow him. If we will open ourselves up to that kind of community. Life in Christ and living in biblical community has both a safety and a trajectory to it. It's safety because Jesus promises that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's not something we can lose our faith. It's this idea that we are always in the Father's grip. No one can snatch us out of his hand. We find safety in the sense of belonging to a group of people who say we're practicing this forgiveness thing. We're not good at it sometimes, but we're practicing, we're trying to live this out and be better at it. It also has this trajectory to it that how I am right now is not how I'm meant to totally be. That I can come to Jesus just as I am, but he loves me too much just to leave me there. And he loves you too much just to leave you there. And so there's this always, uh, we talk about around here that progress is greater than perfection because no one's perfect but we all have progress to make in our faith and in our journey of walking with Jesus that he's at work with us. Not only is God at work within us, but he has assembled us into a group of people where he's using them to help be a part of the sanctifying and transforming process. I love what C.S. Lewis writes this. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. He will use you and he will use me to invest in other people. And sometimes that's chipping away at things that need to be chipped away at. Sometimes that's building things up that need to be built up. That's why it's important to live out the one and others that we see in the New Testament faith, that we see in this idea of living. It's iron sharpens iron, one sharpens another. That we're investing into one another Scott Saul says this when we grant each other the spirit-led blend of grace and truth of come as you are and I love you too much to let you stay as you are we give one another the supreme gift of true biblical friendship and community that how we learn to wrestle this out we as followers of Jesus we are to abide and remain in an irresistible savior. He's our savior, he's the one in charge, he's the one calling the shots. It is always, always, always about him. And as we hang out with him, he has now assembled us and said, I've got you to belong to a a community of people. And will this be messy? Yeah, because you're broken. And the person next to you is broken. But I will actually use some of this brokenness in the transforming work that I want to do in your life. And I will use that for you to become a better reflection of Jesus himself, of reflecting more and more of his heart. We are all broken, we are all in need, we are all welcome. We can all find forgiveness, we are all loved, and we can all come home through Jesus as we follow after him. And so it takes this idea of this irresistible faith is meant to be something we share. And we're gonna talk more about that next week. How do you go about that? When God opens an opportunity for you to share, what do you do? How do you step in to a moment like that? What does it mean to become an irresistible Christian? That's what we're gonna look at. But it starts with us abiding in our irresistible Savior and saying to him, I want to belong to this community and I want it to be an irresistible kind of community and that means I've got to say yes to some things. That means I've got to invest my attention and my time. And and so maybe the question for tonight is simply, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at that? What does that look like? What might be a next step for you that Jesus is calling you to? To invest in your attention and your time into a group like this, into belonging to a to a church home, and to belonging to a community of people who are the best we know how wrestling with figuring this out to become and, and to put on display to a watching world an irresistible kind of faith. So what might that look like for you? I'm gonna pray for us here in a minute. We're gonna take communion and We're going to worship in song here after that. And we do communion around here if you're new. uh, As a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to participate in this. We've got a couple of stations back here, a couple up front, gluten-free crackers over here. Just give you space to kind of think about, okay, what is that question? God, what would it look like for me to invest my attention and my time into belonging to this kind of faith, this faith community and how does that begin to play out and that people might notice and see you, Jesus, in the way that I do that, in the way that I live and love and encourage and challenge and uplift one another? And so, Father, that's what we pray for tonight. We wanna to be a people, ultimately, who live out in an irresistible kind of faith. So, God, that means we gotta remain in you. So, Jesus, would you help us do that? It means we've gotta belong, which... You've created this to connect and that takes attention and time and a whole lot of other things as well. And so we wanna get better at that. We wanna get better at connecting one to another. We wanna get better at investing in one another, that we create a kind of community that people would take notice of simply because it's being led by you, Jesus, that you're using it to transform us to be more and more like you. And so Jesus we remember this all comes from you. It's your life, your death, your resurrection that we celebrate, that we wanna remain anchored to. And so as we come to a moment of taking communion, as we hold that cracker and take that cup, we remember that it was your sacrifice, your body broken for the forgiveness of our sins, your blood shed, that we might have life with God through you, Jesus. So as we take that tonight, would you help us be re-anchored to this idea of investing in belonging to the community you have for us? And we do that well one to another and that the people we invest in, they would grow and that we would grow as well as we invest in this. As we sing about you and as we leave tonight, would you help us to be a community belonging one to another, belonging mostly to you? that would shine your light and your hope in the heart of this city, that people would be captivated, their curiosity pricked. They'd say, look at those people. Look at the way they love. I've got to see more of that. That's what we want. So Jesus, thank you that that's your dream. That's your prayer, that we would be one, that people would know you, So we pray for that, Jesus.